Hello, everyone. This is Jacob Emerson with Becker's Healthcare. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Becker's Healthcare podcast series, where today I'm very pleased to be joined by two special guests who are here with me today to discuss the impact of AI on the patient experience and patient care. So to do just that, I'm going to introduce our esteemed speakers. Ryan Donahue is a strategic advisor at NRC Health, and Paul Coyne is senior vice president and chief nurse executive at Hospital for Special Surgery. So gentlemen, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. Thanks for having us in. So Ryan, tell us a little bit about a large survey you did of a swath of consumers and patients on the topic of AI, specifically when it comes to what they understand about AI and what they don't. What were your initial findings? Well, as an industry, we're talking a lot about AI. It's like we're getting paid per mention uh, every which way. And I think what's interesting is to go out and talk to regular everyday people, um, consumers, patients. And in the survey you mentioned, these are folks who haven't just had a recent patient experience, part of our market insights tool, where we're just talking to consumers who are out sort of living their lives. And so when we ask them, what do you know about AI specifically as it's applied to healthcare? Um, you had about 74% that said, you know, I really don't have a clear sense, which is a very honest answer. So you've got about a quarter of the population saying, I do feel like I know how it works in, in healthcare. You got about three quarters who say, you know, I'm really not sure. And among a lot of those folks who aren't sure, I, I really noticed an appropriate caution, this feeling of, you know, I'm not sure what, what this means, because to me, healthcare is personal, it should be human. Um, among those most familiar with AI and its concepts, its applications, that's where you saw a lot of hope, some excitement, um, some confidence that AI was really going to help healthcare and help their healthcare experiences in the future. But among those who were less initiated, when we said, is AI dangerous? I mean, we flat out asked them, you know, there was about 24% said, yes, I'm not as initiated on how it works. I think it's dangerous. That number fell to less than half that when we asked people who are more familiar. So we just saw people who are interested in the topic, but self-admitting that they don't know a lot about it and there's caution and there's a little bit of fear. Yeah, absolutely. So it sounds like a lot of uncertainties around AI in general, but especially when it comes to healthcare. Uh, Paul, let's talk about AI, though, inside the patient room. You've developed a tool called Augie. For our listeners, that's A-U-G-I. As I understand it, that's an in-room sensing technology powered by AI. Can you tell us a little bit more about Augie for those of us that aren't familiar, how it is going to be applied within the patient room, and ultimately what the effect has been on for, for caregivers? Sure, absolutely. So a few years ago, I had the privilege of, of starting a, a company um, called Inspiring uh, with a, a co-founder, many of which were were from were nurses like me, frontline nurses who wanted to put the tech development in, in the hands of clinicians and those that know it best and the needs of the patient best and the needs of the caregivers best and set out, you know, with that ethos to, to create a company and a, and a product. And it's been a, been a great journey, um, but the, the device now known as Augie, um, is a hybrid sensing wall-mounted device that combines computer vision and Bluetooth low energy uh, in one device uh, to analyze the physical and digital aspects of a room. So it goes on the wall of the foot of the patient's uh, bed in the, in the hospital room or a skilled nursing facility or a nursing home and drastically improves care efficiency and patient experience and also patient safety. So everything from reducing falls to allocating staffing that one device can do a lot that a, a human can't, but it also, a human can do a lot of things that the device can't. 
And I, and I think, um, you know, we'll, we'll probably talk more about that as this conversation goes on, but, but I think that the development of a, of a device like that equally as important to knowing what it can do um, is knowing what it can't do and what it shouldn't do. And um, the device, we named it Augie for augmented intelligence um, because we believe that, or believe and continue to believe it inspiring that AI is meant to augment the patient experience. Artificial intelligence, if you move too far towards the artificial end, you lose the human aspect and it actually feels artificial. And I think what Ryan was talking about where some people are, are afraid of this tech, type of technology in healthcare is a result of the desire to not lose the human aspect of healthcare. And so Augie, from its inception to the design component, to its implementation, you know, we've continued to ensure that that which should be preserved continues to be preserved, which is the the beauty of healthcare and the human interaction, but that that which can be augmented is and, and aids the clinicians to spend more time doing what only a human can do. Sure. But what you mentioned there, Paul, there is that very real fear, that two-way fear of being replaced. We hear it from caregivers. We hear it from patients. Can you dig into a little bit more about that two-way aspect? Of this fear, sure. Well, I think um, the bidirectional fear of a of a patient feeling that they won't have a caregiver care for them is a real fear, and I think that's the one that everyone focuses on first. But also, frontline staff who have devoted their life to having an education and learning the skills, not only intellectually but also emotionally, to care for another human being. If, if if sort of we throw the term around that um, they can be replaced or or in any way, um, it's sort of a callous remark that makes it's offensive. And so I think we need to be very cautious with our words in, in saying that AI, again, um, is meant to preserve the most sacred aspects of healthcare and eliminate a lot of burden, administrative burden, documentation burden that, that is stopping both the patient and the provider from having the true you know fulfillment of of feeling that they're both caring either for somebody or being cared for um currently there's so many demands on a frontline clinician that uh sometimes that most paramount goal takes a back seat and ai has the potential to return it to the forefront or it has the potential to move it further away. And um, the fear should just be called out and stated so that we ensure that it brings us all back together in healthcare as opposed to bringing us further apart. But we need to be very closely monitoring each implementation to ensure that that goal is met. So it seems, Paul, it's very important to restate here that this is about augmenting the human aspect of healthcare, not replacing it. Uh, Ryan, you've mentioned AI, specifically AI-powered search and how it will dramatically change how consumers seek out their healthcare. Do you foresee these changes impacting consumers and caregivers in, in the same way? And how do you see this all unfolding inside healthcare organizations? If you look at search with consumers and just where they are right now, maybe where they've been the last five or 10 years, I mean, searching for information in healthcare is, is wandering through a wilderness. And there's so much information out there 
And one of my colleagues, John Berg, who's a marketing exec at University of Florida, he's been on a Becker's podcast with me in the past. He has a great line about how healthcare consumers are information rich and knowledge poor. I'm going to make sure I cite John on that. It's it's a great point. We have so much information at our fingertips. We can pull 3 million results in a 0.1 second, but we don't know how to navigate those results. So I immediately think that AI is going to be a, a consumer and patient's searching best friend, giving them more detailed information, cutting out some of the stuff you have to do on your own now, or you have to try to trust. I think that AI can know more about you and therefore filter your results in certain ways, remember things about your search, help you prompt further, a lot more than just a standard Google search. Um, and eventually that might feel like, you know, a trip to the library was in the past. And so I think on the consumer side, they're willing to use it. Does that mean they understand it? Our research says no. Does it mean they fear it? Yeah, some of them do. But there's a void to fill. Um, I don't have the guidance I need, especially early on when I'm searching for care. So consumers from the outside coming in, I think are going to more and more rely on AI to help guide them as a sort of navigator that they don't have otherwise. On the inside of the organization, not everybody thinks like Paul and not everybody's been as bold as he's been. That's why I wanted him in this conversation with me is because I see a lot of tepid, timid, tiptoeing in to finish the alliteration. I mean, I see people saying, well, let's just kind of check it out for a while. Reminds me of telemedicine. You know, telemedicines have been around for a very long time, a couple of decades. When did we really dive in? When we had no other option in the first wave of COVID, that's when we really started propping up those telemedicine systems. Some were, some were better about it before, but most of the industry you know, moved at a glacial pace. And that's what I see in AI. And, and maybe it's just because AI is moving so quickly that if you're not diving in, then you look like a glacier right now. And I would encourage insides of organizations to realize that patients are going to be coming with this information guided by AI. You can't get around it and you need to start using it yourself. Yeah, no, that's a great point. The patients are, are going to be armed with this information from what you said, Ryan, uh, an ultimate search engine for this information. Um, Paul, I'll turn to you. Same exact question. Give us the candid answer that Ryan says you you have for us. What do you see changing inside the healthcare organization because of AI, even indirectly um, on, on in terms of how patient care will change? Yeah, I... I... I think I'll, I appreciate the faith that Ryan has in me, but I think there's not enough people honestly saying that they don't have the answers either. I think that's really important that, I mean, I'll just, I'll just say it. I mean, I, I do know a little bit about this space and, but I don't have all the answers. And, and I think when people are excited about something and that hope appears to be on the horizon, really of anything, uh, there's this desire to just talk about a future state that will come but, but it, it's an undefined point in the future. And so everyone starts to talk about, in this case, it's AI. And AI will solve this and this and this, and, and perhaps it will. But today in every hospital in the, in the world or in every medical clinic, you know, these tools aren't here yet. And so uh, there's a gap that exists between what's happening on the inside, quote unquote, now and this future that will come. And... I, I find that sometimes there's these two rooms of people. There's a room talking about the future, and then there's a room talking about taking care of a patient right now in a room. And I think too often in healthcare, those are two separate rooms. And um, I think what's really happening in, in healthcare is that those two rooms aren't meeting. And in order for the optimal state for a future to exist where AI does solve all the problems, 
those two rooms have to meet. And so we have to just really do that. <laughs> I don't know how else to, I don't there, there's a many different ways to do that. Uh, there's different groups coming together, frontline clinicians with tech developers. There's hackathons now where large tech companies meet with frontline caregivers to develop. So, but but these the, these sets of people in industry typically are not together, and I, and I don't think the optimal result is is being met. So um, it depends, quote unquote, on the inside. It it currently depends. The inside of a hospital doesn't feel like the inside of Silicon Valley or the inside of 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 media and all of those things sort of need to get into one one room to be honest if if to make one one inside uh, where AI is optimal. Ryan, why don't you and I take a crack at bridging that gap for a second and and talk a little bit about you know I'm curious the applications or the uses that you think seem to appeal to consumers right now the most in terms of how AI can be applied throughout the consumer journey of care. And ultimately, those use cases right now, what are they telling you about how, how consumer expectations might change in the future around this technology? There's a ton of evidence already. I mean, because we've dived in and with ChatGPT, for example, the way it exploded, you know, we can look at current ways that consumers are using this information and how they want it to be used. And I love Paul's analogy of the two rooms. He's very humble about his knowledge. And for the record, I'd like to be in his room uh, if we are, in fact, assigned. But there's a lot we don't know. I would completely agree with that. But when you ask about future-facing things, consumers have a lot of ideas. So to give you an example, when we say, you know, where can AI help? You know, we asked that open-ended, but we also asked it with several different parts of the healthcare journey, things like scheduling, billing, uh, actually, you know, interfacing with a physician, talking about a diagnosis, all those different touch points. And consumers were very clear about this. The number one answer for what AI could help with was scheduling. Number two was answering questions outside of a clinician space. Number three was billing issues. I mean, consumers are telling us, like, take away these other parts of the journey that sap energy for me, that confuse me, that take me away from getting well, which is the point in the first place. The last thing that consumers wanted help with on AI was diagnosis. They still very much want a physician. They want the human side of that healthcare at NRC Health. We call it human understanding. They want the other stuff cleared out of the way by AI so that they can get in front of a person who knows more than them, who can help them and get them well again. And I think consumers are pretty clear on that. Paul, would you agree that it really is comes down to the administrative burdens that is what patients want to get rid of at the end of the day? With the bidirectional um, fear, that's also a bidirectional want. I mean, there's no hospital worker who wants to be on the phone for hours of uh, hundreds of hours a month or however long it is solving billing issues that, that that's not fun for the patient it's not fun for anyone that works in in healthcare people want connection um and we've asked human beings both patient and provider and administrative worker in healthcare to do tasks that make them feel less human so the goal of all of this in healthcare should be to, everyone's asking for, for this, um, to, to create tools where people that work in healthcare and patients have a more human experience and, and AI does the rest. It would, that, that's, that's the future that, that everybody, everybody wants. Um, so I would hundred percent agree, not just for the patient, but for people who work in healthcare too.
Yeah, absolutely. Let's switch gears here for a sec, Paul. You in the past have compared AI technology to nuclear energy. Care to tell us a little bit about why why you say that? Sure. Well, my dad was a U.S. Navy nuke uh, power school grad, so I, I think I use that analogy just so he knows I listened to his stories uh, <laughs> from when I was a little boy. But um, I, but it's true. You know, in the in the early '40s, uh, physics experiments started to accelerate regarding nuclear fission and two paths emerged from that physical physics those physics experiments one led to nuclear power plants nuclear energy that power our submarines still and provide a large uh, source of energy to the world's power grid and the other led to a nuclear bomb and same basic physics principles with some modifications but at the core in its infancy they both led to those paths and AI, someday they'll look back on this period and think of it in its infancy. And so I just think it's an important analogy to really call out, um, not just for healthcare, but for AI in general, because I think people have a fear of AI, not just replacing the human aspect of healthcare, but also creating a society that we either like better or that we don't like. Um, and I usually compare it to nuclear energy because it's the same choice. It's it, it it's a tool just like nuclear energy is a tool, and we can use that energy as human beings for good, or we can use it to 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 hurt other people um, and make things less optimal than anybody wants. So while you know I, the only caveat with AI is that um, maybe at a certain point AI will decide for us how it's used, um, but until then we're still in charge of. Um, of the outcomes here. And, you know, some of the principles that we talked about on this call, you know, I think if we keep those principles as the sort of North Star of tech development and implementation, then we have the best chance to have it be energy and not above. Absolutely. And, you know, this entire time we've been talking about the importance of the human aspect of healthcare as this technology continues to develop. Um, it's one of the fears that we hear about from physicians all over the country being replaced by AI. But I, I want to ask you both as well, are, are there consumers that are open to that, especially among younger generations who maybe wouldn't care or would even be, like I said, open to having their doctor or another clinician replaced by an AI technology, by a chatbot? Um, how, how do you think that would affect what we're talking about today, the human element of healthcare, Ryan? I think the human element of healthcare will be nicely preserved in this sense because a lot of people don't want AI to be replaced. If we look at just that quarter of the country, that minority that feels pretty familiar with AI and its uses in healthcare, maybe experienced it, only 5% of those people want a diagnosis, for example, from just AI. Um, the majority of those people who are very, again, comfortable, they're the initiated with AI and its uses, 55% would actually just prefer a doctor. Another 40% would prefer doctors backed up by AI. That's super reasonable. And this is among the group that's very familiar. They still prefer a doctor to give them something as important as a diagnosis. And then there's this growing group of people we've monitored over the last few years that like the idea of augmentation, as Paul mentioned earlier, where you know maybe it's a pharmacist who they do something that isn't normally done and AI says, hey, normally we don't put this medication and that medication together, are you sure? I think that sort of idea is, is very open for a lot of consumers to consider. 
but most people want their doctor. And, you know, there was a recent TED talk by Dr. Eric Topol about how much doctors will benefit in the long run from AI. He call, talks about keyboard liberation, getting rid of notes, which is something Paul's talked about a lot. And just the idea that I can be freed up to do what my original calling was, which was to help other human beings. So I don't think there needs to be much fear about replacement. I, I think ultimately the benefits are are there. Yeah. So just to recap a key theme, though, of what you said, Ryan, uh, the people's opinions are nuanced on this issue. But at the end of the day, people want their doctor. Anything you'd add there, Paul? No, I think 100% right. Uh, and some of the just to expand upon some of the things that Ryan just mentioned, you know, natural language processing, the voice monitoring, uh, augmented ambient monitoring in the in the rooms, there's there's much that can happen around that experience. So that that need for people saying, I want my doctor, or I want my clinician, when they say that they don't want them behind a screen, typing up everything that they said. They're saying, I want my doctor. They're, they're saying, I want someone to care about me, be fully present in a room when I talk to them and give me the correct diagnosis. And right now, we're currently not having them be fully present in the room because we're requiring them to document. And 99.9 .9 times out of 100, we give the correct diagnosis. But if AI can ensure that that diagnosis has a better chance of being the correct one, and allows people to be more present with the patients. And the patient knows I'm getting more presence from my caregiver and I have a better chance of getting a correct diagnosis. Then this is a, is a no brainer. Um, so we, the, but the tools and the development path need to lead to those two goals, better diagnosis and more presence. And if we do those two things, then I think the last 5% will come along, right? So Ryan, um, before we go, we've got a lot of healthcare, a lot of hospital leaders listening into us today. With them in mind, what would you say are the most promising aspects of AI and healthcare when it comes to their business that they're running? And what's the biggest pitfall that they all need to be keeping an eye on moving forward? I'll start with the bad news first. I mean, I think earlier the talk about consumers jumping into AI to get out of the wilderness of search means they're going to find things from AI that they trust more than a routine Google search. And depending on where that information's from, it could cause them to um, seek out certain things that maybe aren't beneficial to them or to not seek out care when it would be beneficial. So I worry about filling that void with just AI and having consumers think, oh, well, you know, this is something I should do without that nuanced, you know, double checking or going to the physician, which means we've got to be more accessible to them in different ways and, and use AI in a, a combined way so that uh, consumers can continue to come to us and not just wander. I think the biggest benefit that's out there, the opportunity is sort of a rehumanizing of care. Um, you know, we we talk about this at NRC Health about human understanding, peeling it down to the individual patient. They're all individuals and unique in their own way. They all have a story to tell. So a lot of things that get in the way of that story, including our processes and bureaucracy and just those things that distract us. If AI can reduce some of those things, which I believe it can, it could get us back to a human to human connection. And I think that bond has been missing from a lot of healthcare for a while. It'd be wonderful to restore it. Paul, any final thoughts you'd add? Yeah, I was just thinking about it like when we were cavemen and there was uh, the need for a fire. And so we had to go out, cut down the trees, chop up the wood, 
ourselves with the axe potentially. Maybe this is past cavemen. I don't know if the cavemen had axes, but you get the analogy. Fire was good, but humans had to supply all of the things to get that fire. I think the same thing happened with the electronic health record. We learned the data was good, but we required humans to aggregate it all and document it all. And as a result, the beauty of the quote unquote fire or the data uh, sort of got lost a little bit, I think over the last 20 or 30 years, because the focus became solely on, not solely, but, a, but primarily around data collection because we knew it was good, but still required the clinicians to fuel that fire. And AI has the potential to drastically allow us to not do that anymore and still have all the benefits of the data. And when we have that extra time, the hope then would be that we use that to be more present all around and have a nice warm feeling together around the around the healthcare fire. So I hadn't used that analogy before. This is my first time doing that. I'll have to fix it up and make it a little more eloquent, but I think you get the point. Well, I think even if the historical timeline is off, Paul, the, the expertise is certainly there from you both. So we, we really appreciate you both taking the time for sharing your thoughts with us. And we'd also like to thank our podcast sponsor today, NRC Health. You can tune into more podcasts from Becker's Healthcare by visiting our podcast page at beckershospitalreview.com slash podcasts.